and every moan in the tale of two cities. But we also remember him as the hero in the Sherlock Holmes in the movies and on radio. And I think an appropriate term for somebody like Basil Rathbone, I titled the article A Well-Graced Actor, uh, a Shakespearean illusion, but I think the best adjective might be to describe him is that he, he was dashing, whether he was a villain or whether he was a hero. He, was, he had a certain verve, a certain panache about him. And he had one of those great profiles uh, that distinguished him from a number of other actors. In fact, the, the lead-in to the article that I have is that a number of people, if you picture a number of people, and Patricia, you talk about how you picture people in your mind before or after you hear them. When you look at photographs of people like Henry Fonda or Burt Lancaster, Robert Mitchum, a number of actors, you know, even a Clark Gable type, you could picture them driving a truck or building a home because just of their physiognomy. But when you look at somebody like Basil Rathbone, you picture him as having the face of, of someone born to tread the board, so to speak. He belongs on the stage or on the screen. Agreed. He's got a theatrical forehead, a theatrical face. Um, you couldn't you couldn't envision him in any other role except on the stage. That's right. You you wouldn't picture him coming in to fix the plumbing in your home. <laughs> Although in his many disguises, that plumber was one of them. That's right. That's right. He was multifaceted. I kind of hinted at the the next section. Um, I I talk about the the great movie music uh, that we remembered from many of those great films, and I have some photographs of some of my sheet music in the article to supplement it. Uh, ben Crosby and some other people portrayed there. Uh, those were the great days of uh, not only of the performers on the screen, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, Judy Garland, Bing Crosby, Doris Day, Frank Sinatra, Alice Faye, but the great lyricists and composers, the Gershwins, Jerome Kern, Cole Porter, Hoagie Carmichael, Johnny Mercer, Jay Livingston and Ray Evans, Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Heusen. And so I think just reading that article, anybody who reads it will have a number of those melodies uh, floating through their head. And I'm not sure they'll get to the end of the article that they'll want to run out and climb every mountain or run out and climb onto the nearest lamppost so they can be singing in the rain, but uh, I do think it brings back the, the memories of what movie musicals were like and how the, we don't have that magic anymore. And then I talk about the, the Perry Mason uh, series, um, and that I think would be of, of interest to anybody who enjoyed the, the Raymond Burr series on television, is the the synopses of the six films, and I supplement those with lobby cards or stills from those movies. And then I, I devote an article to It's in the Bag, and So This is New York, uh, the Henry Morgan and Fred Allen movies that they starred in. 
Um, and they were great on radio, but the movies misfired, and I give a number of reasons why. I point out the strengths and the weaknesses, and I think that would be interesting uh, for people to read, Who anybody who enjoys Fred Allen. And because these films featured a number of people in addition to the star, like Jack Benny, Don Amici, William Bendix was in both movies, Victor Moore, Rudy Valley was in, in both movies, um, Jerry Colonna was in It's in the Bag. I think anybody who enjoys radio would enjoy reading those articles. And then I devote an article to B-movies. And these very often played the bottom half of double bills. They ran about 60, 65 minutes. And we remember those great westerns like the Gabby Hayes I mentioned earlier, the Hopalong Cassidy series, Roy Rogers. Those series films, the Charlie Chan movies, Mr. Charlie Bodo. Chan, yeah. Charlie Chan is right up there on my top list. The Falcon and The Saint, The Whistler, Blondie, The Bowery Boys, Henry Aldrich. Uh, there was a series of four great Gildersleeve movies. There was a Love and Abner series. So I try to tie in radio every chance I get, no matter if I'm talking about movies or not, I try to try and bring in some radio connection because uh, it's a, a vital part of my interest in the entertainment industry, and I'm, I know it is with many people who tune into this show. What are your thoughts on B-movies in general? They make you smile, they make you happy, you love to watch them, you hate to watch them. I, I enjoy them because they could pack a great deal of entertainment in those 60 minutes, and there was little, if any, fluff. There wasn't time for extraneous multi-sum plots. You had to move right along and get to the heart of the matter, and there really wasn't time for dull spots and dead ends. You had to be moving right toward the conclusion. And I think one of the fun portions of watching a number of these B-movies is seeing the stars who were not stars at that time. I have a photograph opposite the beginning of the article showing Warner Oland, who played, of course, Charlie Chan, in Charlie Chan in Egypt. And the actress with him is named Rita Cancino. She later changed her hairline and her last name and became Rita Hayward, one of the major stars of the 1940s. A Amazing. number of other contract players started out in these B-movies before they became stars, so it's interesting to see Glenn Ford and Anthony Quinn and Donna Reed and some of the other actors and actresses that we know today in minor roles in these B-movies. And I also have a, a photograph of a one-sheet poster for the first film in the Whistler series. And of course, the Whistler is a, a favorite of many people who enjoy radio drama. How big is your personal collection of memorabilia? I don't know in what terms I expect an answer. Okay. 
it'd be difficult to say. I have a nostalgia room in my lower level basement devoted to the 1930s uh, and 40s, mainly the 40s. And on the wall are photographs of a number of stars signed by the photographs. And many of these people are deceased. For instance, I have five signed photographs. Some of them are in the book here. Uh, for instance, uh, signed photographs by Phil Harris and Alice Faye. Signed photographs by Red Skelton, Jerry Colonna, Jack Benny, Bob Hope, Gail Gordon, Mel Blank, Eve Arden, and quite a few other stars. I have one wall pretty much devoted to what we might call the glamour girls of the 1940s, signed by them, Jean Tierney, Betty Grable, Lana Turner, Ava Gardner, and so on. And then I also have framed one-sheet posters of a number of movies that starred either radio figures or were from a radio series, like The Whistler. I have a great Gildersleeve, one sheet. I have It's in the Bag, one sheet, poster, and Fibber McGee and Molly for Heavenly Days. I have some window cards and some half sheets and other memorabilia on the wall devoted to the entertainment industry. I have many radio premiums, uh, lots of uh, stills taken from motion pictures, lobby cards uh, from Abbott and Costello movies, and you probably saw you answered that question now. No, you, this is a museum you're talking about. Well, Going you might there. consider it, I guess, such. And then I have photographs of people like Jean Tierney and Rita Hayworth that came from supplements at that time that are framed. I have a World War II selection, uh, section of the nostalgia room in which I have posters of Eisenhower and uh, different posters with World War II themes. Uh, I have a Norman Rockwell uh, poster there uh, devoted to the war cause about welcoming a returning soldier home. And I also have uh, a cowboy corner in which I have radio premiums. Um, and I, I don't know if I'll get to Tom Mix tonight, but I have a whole Tom Mix premium section of and Roy Rogers selection, Roy Rogers and Gene Autry guitars, and a number of, of items uh, that I picked up over the years. So, Are you considering selling tickets? Well, when I asked earlier about, are you a cult of one? <laughs> I, I'm a cult of one, I think. Uh, if, if I sell tickets in my community, uh, I would be the only buyer, I'm afraid. Oh, you know, you're right. It's a special audience. We'll have to put out an invitation to that as well. Mr. Schultz, it is after 1 o'clock here, which means it's after midnight your time. Would you consider coming back in a couple of weeks and finishing um, what we started tonight? Because we've got all the radio shows to go through yet. Would you do that? We could. Uh, we could do that. Um, this, I would like to, 
give the information about how they can get the book from me. Oh, you bet. Uh, before we finish, if there's anybody still left, I know in certain time zones, um, it's it's after one o'clock. It's after one o'clock where you are, even though where Walden is, it may only be ten o'clock. Well, we have bumper to bumper listeners on this. Would you um? Would you go through the list of radio shows that you talk about? Right. And that would give people a heads up on what's coming the next time. And then perhaps we could talk a little bit about how to get the book and the, and the special treats that you've built into the, uh, to the program for them. All right. The radio shows discussed are Fibber McGee and Molly, Nightbeat, The Stan Freeberg Show, the Phil Harris, Alice Fay Show, The Great Gildersleeve, R.M.S. Brooks, The Henry Morgan Show. There's actually two articles on The Great Gildersleeve and different aspects of the program. There's two articles on uh, Jack Benny, different aspects of that show. Quiet, Please, The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, Pat Novak for Hire, The New Edgar Bergen Hour, I devote one article to bloopers, and I devote one article to a radio script, which is another item in my memorabilia nostalgia room. I came across a radio script that was from a program uh, that was probably either Bob Hope's script that he alone saw or was portions of it were meant for his eyes only because of the insertions in it. And I talk about that particular script. And then I have an article which is on forgotten shows. And I mentioned a little bit earlier, I talked about Granby's Green Acres. I talk about Meet Me at Parkies, The Sad Sack, Cousin Willie, The Smiths of Hollywood, and Granby's Green Acres all in one article. Uh, that was a show that gave some of the second bananas, like Gail Gordon and B. Benaderet and Harry Von Zell and Bill Idelson, Herb Vigran, and Park Your Carcass, a chance to headline their own show. And then the last article is one in which I point out what the best years of radio were, and I point out in a show-by-show -show analysis of how the best shows of radio uh, were actually those right after World War II when many new programs came on and the existing programs made a change for the better. And then I'm, there's the section I'm so talking. delighted that you're talking about shows that can be forgotten, and part of the reason some of them are forgotten is that shows like uh, Granby Screen Acres, I believe there are only four episodes circulating. That is correct. And, I mean, I have the four, but you don't get an entire flavor for the show just from those four shows. So having some information about the ones that we can't get information about is really wonderful. You've got collectibles here. Yes. And... I talk about the Tom Mix premiums. Was Tom Mix the most prolific premium giver-outer in radio? 
That's a, that's a, a neologism. You just created that word. Yeah. <laughs> so my very own self, as people would say occasionally. Um, yes. Uh, there were more. There were more premiums for the years he was he was on the air. That's like we can talk about some of the ironies later on is that Tom Mix himself was never on the radio program, um, but his premiums were very, very prominent. And I have some photographs of some of the premiums in my collection and some of the manuals in the, in the article. And then I have Well, I tell you, those things are really slick, and I never did. I still haven't tried the pre-made stuff in it, just using it for a dispenser, but putting the real thing in and just...